Well, today we are going to answer really one question. I'm going to give you four points to back this question up. But the question is, what is a faithful life? Um, sometimes when, we, when you ask the question, what is, that's the title of the message, what is a faithful life? You know, if somebody were to ask you, name somebody who is faithful. I'm sure some, some thoughts come into your mind, maybe some, some, uh, you know, some faces flash before your mind of somebody you would be on the shadow of a doubt. You can say, this person is faithful. I just know they are. It's just, it defines them. They are faithful. But what are some characteristics of, of what being faithful means? I came across a very interesting story recently of a young boy. Um, he was raised in a very poor household. His father emotionally had been destroyed by the Great Depression, and he didn't know how to handle it when the nation came out of the Great Depression. And he, he couldn't really process what to do from there on. It just beat him down so terribly. And so the mom of the household took on the, the role of trying to do, not trying to, to weigh her husband down with more worry, but it, she took it on herself to go out and, and make money. And this was, this was back in the 1930s, right? And, and so it was very difficult, but she started off creating in her house a, a boarding house. They started with one room and expanded from there, but they would take boarders in and deal with that. Well, the kids then took it on themselves to go out and raise money as well. And this young boy we're going to talk about right now, he went out and he, uh, see, he first got, he sold Cokes. He sold Coca-Cola. He would buy them wholesale. Um, he found a place on his own to buy them wholesale. And then he, just as a young kid, and then he would sell them uh, at, for a small profit. I think for a case of Cokes, he made like 40 cents that he could go and buy more Cokes and sell those. Uh, then he also sold newspapers. And uh, which back then a lot of people sold newspapers, and so he had he he had the thought, how can I distinguish myself so that other people will want to buy papers from me, um, and we can make money in the house and be able to eat this week. Uh, so what he would do is when he would try to get a new customer, he would tell them, well, what I will do when I deliver your paper is I will bring it to your house and I will either put it on your porch or I will put it inside your screen door, so you don't have to come out and uh, get it and retrieve it. Maybe it's in the yard or maybe a dog ran off with it, but I'll make sure it's secure and you don't have to come out and it's rainy. And so he, got, he, he gained a whole bunch of customers that way. Well, this young boy grew up and then he went to war in World War II. And when he returned from the war, he and his brother, uh, just looking at the state of the world, uh, they decided to open a restaurant. They wanted to open a restaurant that was high quality food, that was cheap, uh, but they didn't have enough money to buy a big place. And so the place that they worked out of only had four tables, uh, and it had uh, 10 bar stools. Uh, and so that's what they served, four tables and 10 bar stools. It was a small place, and so they called it the Dwarf House uh, because they didn't have much room in it. Uh, and so they started working here, but they had a conviction because they were believers, they were followers of Jesus, and they had a deep co conviction about faith, that they wanted to honor God with everything they had. They wanted to honor God with the, with, the stuff, with the money they made, and so they would give to the church. They wanted to honor God uh, with the quality of stuff they produced. Uh, but they also wanted to honor God with their time. And so they made a decision that they were not going to open on Sundays. The man's name was S. Truett Cathy. And uh, they developed in their business the chicken sandwich. And he went on to found a restaurant called Chick-fil-A. Uh, that makes more money per single restaurant than any other restaurant in the country. He was faithful from the beginning. Even at the beginning, when the banks and the business people said, yeah, you cannot shut down on Sunday. Uh, if you're a faith-filled person and you're open on Sunday, that's when the Christians get out of church and they go to your restaurant. They're going to go and they're going to buy. That's when you want to be open. And everybody said, it's ridiculous to be shut down on Sunday. You're, gonna make, you're not going to make any money. You know, restaurants don't make it anyway, but you're already cutting out one-seventh of the week. It's just not going to function. But Truett Cathy said, no, we're going to be faithful with what the Lord's given us. This is our personal conviction, and we're just not going to be open on Sunday. We're just not going to do it because we're going to allow our, our um, employees, what his statement was to those people, is they can spend time with their family and they can go to church, and we're not going to force them 
to miss that opportunity. And uh, so he made that statement and that commitment to be faithful even from the beginning. And over the course of the decades, uh, God blessed them in a way that never could have imagined in the beginning. Faithfulness. Well, we're going to look at what faithfulness is, but also how the enemy tries to rip away at our faithfulness and how we can respond in that moment. So I want you to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14 today. Uh, If you're using a Bible there on the rack in front of you, it's on page 56. And if you don't have a Bible, take that Bible home. That is your Bible. Um, That is a free gift. Take it. Write your name in the front. That's your Bible. It's also going to be on the screens. If you're watching online, it'll be on the screen below me. But Exodus chapter 14. See, what's been going on here in Exodus is that we, we finished a study on Joseph uh, you know, I think it was nine weeks, and we spent talking about Joseph. And uh, his whole family moved to Egypt, but then they got so huge, they had so many babies, uh, that that threatened the Egyptian culture. So they overpowered, see the Egyptians had the most powerful army in the world at the time. So they overpowered the Israelites, Joseph's family, and made them slaves. And they were slaves for a very, very long time. And they would pray to the Lord that they would be delivered, that he would send them a deliverer to pull them out of slavery. Because God had promised, he had had sent a prophecy that they would come out of slavery. And so, that man ended up being Moses. Uh, Moses uh, was brought by God at the age of 80. He was brought by God back to Egypt to help lead the people out. Moses walks into Pharaoh and says, you need to let the people leave or some bad things are going to happen. And Pharaoh says over and over and over again, yeah, I'm not going to let them leave. They are not leaving. He says, he will say, okay, you can leave, but then he would change his mind as Moses is walking out the door. Yeah, I changed my mind. You can't leave. Uh, And this happened nine times. And God sent these plagues, you know, uh, uh, flies and locusts and boils all over their bodies and darkness everywhere except where the Israelites lived and um, fire shooting out of the sky, and hail shooting from the sky, and all of the crops being devastated, all of the animals being obliterated, so that their economy is now wrecked. And finally, on the 10th plague, all the firstborn children of the country die. And, And Moses had told them ahead of time, this is what's going to happen. And Pharaoh said, yeah, we're not listening to you. And uh, all the firstborn die, and then Pharaoh sends Moses a message in the night, y'all leave my country right now. So Moses and all the Israelites grab all their stuff, because Moses had prepped them ahead of time. Everybody have all your stuff ready to go. As soon as we get word, we're out the door. Pharaoh sends word, Moses grabs everybody, and they leave. And uh, they're following where the Lord is leading them. But as has happened, every single time, once they leave, Pharaoh changes his mind. Um, he changed his mind, and he sent out his entire army, everybody. I mean, he emptied the barracks. The whole lot of them went. The chariots, the footmen, everybody went after the Israelites to bring them back. And so the Israelites are now out there. They're defenseless. They've been slaves now for centuries. They don't know how to fight. They don't have any weapons. And now the greatest army that exists at this time is chasing them down. And they begin to get a little scared. Look at verse 9 of Exodus chapter 14. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them, encamped by the sea, by... Give me a second. Anybody know that word? Anybody? Okay. By uh, Pi Hahiroth, in front of Baal Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. So they look up and they see the army, and they get scared out of their minds. They've just experienced this great thing. God has let them out of Egypt, out of slavery. And now they, they look up and they see this great opposition coming against them, and they get scared. You see, the thing is, as soon as the Israelites step out in faith, opposition strikes. And that's going to be the case in our lives. As soon as you step out in faith, opposition's coming for you every single time. 
Every single day. And it, it may come from an area you don't expect. It may come from, from a person you don't expect. But if you step out in faith for the Lord, the enemy doesn't like that. And so look at what happens. They stepped out in faith. They walked out of Egypt, out of their slavery. The army comes and they cry out in fear. Look at what they say uh, in verse 11. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness. Now, just like a few hours before this, they were so excited to leave, so pumped. Opposition comes and they lose their minds. Not only that, leave that verse up just a sec, Tony. If you go back and read the scripture, they never actually say this. They're saying to Moses, didn't we tell you just leave us alone? We want to stay in Egypt. No. They had said, they've been praying for generations. We want to leave. But opposition and difficulty distorted their memory of what had been, what, what used to be, distorted them. This great unexpected opposition distorted how they remembered what had happened, and they don't remember it properly. Have you ever, I will ask you to raise your hand, just don't poke the person next to you. Do you ever know somebody who misremembers how something was in actuality? So, that's a hot, oh, two hands. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so here, are, and it's not, but it's not just one person here. This is the, the multitude of the Israelites. Some scholars think up to a million people, and they're complaining to one guy. How many, you ever feel overwhelmed when just one person complains over and over again? How about when a million people are shouting for your head, and you're there by yourself? Just leave us alone, Moses. Now you brought us out here to die. Thank you so much. It's like, you know, Moses says, I'm helping you people. I'm just trying to help you. And, and now you complain. Now, parents, you can relate to this, right? You provide this great meal for your kids, and all they do is complain about the meal. I'm just trying to feed you so you grow and don't die. You know, and here's Moses. I'm just trying to get you people out of slavery. Slavery is bad. It's every generation in history can know that. And Moses says, I'm just trying to get you out of here, and you come to me and you complain about this. And you're saying something you didn't even say. If only we had tape recorders, which they didn't. You ever say that in an argument? If only I had a tape recorder, what you said, or at least thought it. Well, obviously, Moses had no idea what that was. Some of you are saying, what's a tape recorder? What's a tape? What's a, I found <laughs> I saw a great meme the other day, uh, and uh, they came across these cassette tapes in an attic, and the kid who is this other guy's best friend's son, said, what are these? And the guy said, well, me and your dad used to listen to those all the time. Uh, you probably don't know what they are. Oh, I know what these are. These, these must be iPods, right? <laughs> well, not exactly. He just dated my, me quite a bit. Uh, but they're complaining to Moses and saying something they never actually said. Look at verse 13. Uh, and Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. He's telling him, stop complaining. God's going to take care of it. God, you see the army? They fight hard. God fights better. Just trust God. So Moses is displaying great faithfulness to this massive horde of people who are just complaining about their circumstance and how difficult it is. So Moses says this to the people, trying to encourage them, don't fear. God's going to take care of the situation. Uh, verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. You see, the people are backed up to the Red Sea. They're backed up to the Red Sea. Armies in front of them, sea behind them, and they're scared. And so God tells Moses, all right, this is what I want you to do. I want you to raise your hand. Just raise your hand up. And the people are going to walk through the sea on dry ground. Uh, look at uh, verse 17. 
And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts and his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. So he tells, God tells this to Moses. But <laughs> Moses doesn't, at least in the scripture that we see, Moses doesn't relay this message to the people. Moses just told the people, don't be afraid. He didn't know yet what God was going to do. And now God comes to Moses and he says, okay, this is what I'm going to do. You just encourage all the people. I'm going to tell you what to do. You're going to raise your hand up and just see what happens. You're going to see what happens. The sea will be divided. The people will walk through. And so look at what Moses does. Verse 21. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and their left. The Egyptians pursued, that's an important word, the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen and in the morning watch, the Lord, in a pillar of fire and of cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, and the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. Greatest army on the planet decimated in one moment there. The, Egyptians, or the, the Israelites walked through. The Egyptians pursued them into the water. But you have to understand something. Where the Israelites were coming from, the Egyptians had provided everything for them. They were slaves. Egyptians provided their resources. Egyptians provided their food. Egyptians provided what they needed so that the slaves would take care of them. But what had provided for the Israelites now pursued them, now chased them down, was hunting them. What had provided was pursuing them. What had been a resource in one season was deadly in the next. So we have to be careful of being dependent on anything other than God. What may provide for us, what may be a resource for us, God can use absolutely. But it's God providing, not the individual, not the entity. And so here these Israelites are now faced with the very ones who were providing for them, pursuing them in a deadly situation. But through Moses' leadership and guidance, they faithfully walk through the sea. Even though what we've seen, the Israelites weren't necessarily all that faithful. They feared. Fear is the opposite of faith. They feared what could happen. Moses, in his faith, brought this about. Before knowing what God was going to do, Moses encouraged the people to have faith, and they walked through in great faith. In light of, see, for Moses, the opposition wasn't just the Egyptians. The opposition was his own people. They wanted to go back to what was, to slavery. They wanted to go back. But in light of the Egyptians, in light of his own people, Moses demonstrated great faith and followed God. He had a faithful life, you see, because a faithful life follows God no matter the opposition. Because it's God who we need to please. A faithful life follows God no matter the strength of the opposition, the strength of the Egyptian army, the might of the Israelites all complaining to Moses. A faithful life follows God no matter what else. Come what may. Come what may. I've quoted him before. Charles Stanley is famous for saying, obey the Lord and leave all the consequences to him. Everything else, he'll take care of it. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. If we seek God first, a faithful life following God, he'll take care of everything else. 
If we follow him and not follow the direction of what other people have and other people's expectations and what they want, then God will lead us to where he wants us to go. We've been studying Galatians on Wednesday nights. Actually, this Wednesday we're starting uh, Ephesians. So if you want to come and get a free meal, and we're starting a brand new study this week on Ephesians, you should come. Uh, At 5 o'clock, the meal, 5.30, the study. But in Galatians, Paul said, uh, if I try to please people, I stop serving God. If we try to please people, we stop serving God. He's not our goal any longer. A faithful life follows God, no matter the opposition. But look at what happens to these people. They get out. The Egyptian army is gone. They've seen God do these great things, and they get out there in following where God wants them to go. Flip over to chapter 16. Look at what the people do here. Uh, Verse 1, they set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. Now, that doesn't, Sin in Hebrew doesn't mean the same as it means in English, that word there. It's not like that's where everybody goes to sin, Uh, but that was just the name of the place, Uh, the wilderness of Sin, which, which was between Elim and Sinai. The 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So, 15th day of the second month. So it's been 45 days since they left. Anybody remember something happened 45 days ago? You ever have trouble remembering something happened 45 days ago? What if it was something phenomenal, like the seas? First off, I mean, all the 10 plagues, right? Incredible. God doing all this. And then being led out of slavery, and then the seas parting, then the seas coming back. Would you easily forget that in 45 days? We say we won't. It's easy to say that when it's not us going through it. But look at what they did 45 days after that. Verse 2 The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled to Moses. That means complained with great intensity. Grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we set by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So their complaint now, again, if only we had stayed in Egypt. The same thing they said before. If only we had stayed in Egypt and God just struck us dead there when we had full bellies. We'd be in a lot better situation than we were now. So they keep bringing this thing up. If only we could go back to slavery when we had what we don't have now. They're not thinking clearly, which hunger does to you sometimes. But they're also not trusting God. God brought them out of Egypt. God has provided everything needed so far. God provided water so far. God provided food so far. But they were having difficulty keeping their faith in the Lord. And so they come. And, but notice, too, their complaint isn't, or the way they state it, their complaint isn't against God. They're grumbling against Moses and Aaron. Somebody they can see. They can see Moses and Aaron. And so they complain against them, even though in reality their complaint is against God. Verse 4. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. This is a weird statement. I mean, if you know scripture, you know this is manna from heaven. You've heard that statement. But for these people, they don't have any context for what he's saying. I'm going to rain bread. Okay? We'll see that. From heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. Now, this is very important what God is telling them. They will gather the bread they need for that day, okay? Uh, See whether they trust me or not. Verse 6. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening, You shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full. He's using the same words they said. We sat by meat pots, and we had bread to the full. So Moses bring their same words back on them. When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. Oh, that's verse 8, that's, uh, verse 9. Say to the, Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. 
And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, so now this is in, this is in front of everybody. A cloud is there, and God's glory is shining out of the cloud in incredible brightness. And God's voice speaks from the cloud to Moses in front of the whole people. Verse 11. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. In the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it. Now, they said, What is it? You know what the Hebrew word for that is? Manna. <laughs> so they walk out and they say, What is it? Manna. And so now that's what they call it from generations on. Manna. Just saying, What is it? What is it? Manna. Uh, this is what the Lord commanded you. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall take an omer, which is a measurement, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. So everyone had exactly what they needed. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Now, I love that statement. Because it says there in the scripture we just read, some of them took more than they were supposed to, some of them didn't take as much as they were supposed to, but when they measured it out, somehow, miraculously, it was exactly what they were supposed to have. God provided for them in an incredible way. Verse 19, let no one leave any, over, uh, any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. <laughs> they didn't listen. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Now, if you were being honest and you've been hungry for days and days and days and now all of a sudden food is provided, would you try to save some for the next day just in case? Honest? I mean, just let's be honest. I mean, for real. Try, I mean, yes. Some of you are not being honest. <laughs> yes, all of us would try to save some for the next day. I mean, just truthfully, we would. Morning by morning, they gathered it. Um, on the sixth day, uh, or, uh, Moses was angry with them. Uh, verse 22, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. That's the first time that word is used in Scripture. This is a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. And Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. But still, some people didn't listen. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. The Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain, each of you, in his place. Let none of you go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So God was providing for them what they needed for that day. But what really stands out to me in both of these scenarios, they had had enough faith to walk out of Egypt. But they did not have enough faith to trust God on the journey. They had enough instantaneous faith to step out of the door. But the second things got difficult, Egyptian army comes. They don't have faith. They, don't, they feel like they don't have enough food. They don't have any faith. The second they can't understand how God is going to do it, how God is going to provide, their faith dips and lacks and, and disappears. They had enough faith to start the journey, but not enough faith to continue the journey. And so what God was trying to teach them here in Exodus 16 is they had to trust God every single day. 
They had to trust him today. They had to trust him with what God provided today. They could not rely on yesterday's supply to meet today's needs. They had to rely on God for today to supply what he needed. You know, before I got married, it's a season of my life I call BM, before marriage. Before I got married, there's also BC or BK, before kids. But before I got married, uh, my, my, where I worked and where I was living, there was a Walmart on the way. Every single day, without fail, I don't even know why, but I stopped at Walmart and got food. Got what I needed for dinner, got what I needed for breakfast, and something for lunch the next day. Every, I don't, it just the way my brain worked, which was weird at the time, but uh, Katie corrected all that by now, so <laughs> I still have relapses, so pray for her. Uh, but I would drive by Walmart on the way back and get what I needed for the next day. Um, and uh, that's what God was trying to teach them. I'm going to provide what you need today. Don't worry about storing it up. You store it up, it's going to go bad. And it's going to stink. You just got to rely on me. Now, what if that were the case in our lives? How much easier would it be to have faith if the stuff we were trying to store up and not have faith about started to stink in our lives? Don't raise your hand, but would you be a stinky person? If you're trying to store up and not trust God for today. Well, God's trying to teach them, you've got to trust me for Today, and that's it. A faithful life cannot rely on yesterday's spiritual experience to meet today's needs. A faithful life cannot rely on yesterday's spiritual experience to meet today's need. You've got to meet with the Lord every day. What God did yesterday is great and phenomenal, and you need to remember it to, to help you in a foundation of your life. But if you're relying on a spiritual experience you had 20 years ago, to provide what God needs, what God has for you in your life today, then it's not working. Your spiritual life is in infancy. That's the very reason Paul wrote, and the author of Hebrews wrote the same thing as well. You're on spiritual milk when you should be on solid food. Imagine if you had a kid who was 30 years old living in your basement and you had to prepare milk bottles for them every single day. That'd be a problem. There's a, there's a mess up somewhere in the growing up process. They never grew up, and you got to change their diaper. The issue here is, yes, God has done great things for us, and, and, and we've got to remember them, and we've got to celebrate them. That's why God has all these uh, festivals and, and experiences throughout the Old Testament and wants them to, to remember these moments, like the, the Passover. You've got to remember the Passover because of what God did for you. You've got to remember Purim because what God did for you. you you've got to remember these things because God did some amazing things for you. But he's still doing stuff for you today. All that God ever said doesn't exist in the past. He still speaks to us today. He still speaks to us today through his word. What does Scripture say about Scripture? It's living and breathing. This is not a dead document. It is living and breathing, sharper than a two-edged sword, able to cut bone and marrow. It can penetrate the hardest heart today. God's Word is powerful. You say, I've never heard God speak. Well, here He speaks, right here. This is where you start. Read this. God will speak if you're listening. He'll speak. It's right there. Page after page, him speaking. You say, yeah, but I get bogged down in you know, numbers and lamentations and these things are difficult. Yeah, but there's still powerful stuff there. Why don't you start in John? Why don't you hit up Psalms? I guarantee you, you can relate to David in Psalms. Because when David writes some of the Psalms that he writes, he starts off when he writes. Now, if you read one of David's Psalms, don't just read like the first five verses. Read the whole, the whole chapter. Because like the first half of the Psalms David writes... In those psalms, he's complaining and frustrated. But by the end of them, he's celebrating God. Because what we're seeing is him processing his emotions and situation. And he starts off in those psalms complaining and irritated and mad. But then he realizes, but God is still God. And God is still powerful. And God is still great. And the way he ends the psalms are different than how he starts them. Because God is moving through him as he writes them. So I encourage you, allow God to speak through his word into your life today. God's not done speaking. God didn't just set the world in motion and didn't touch it again. It's not the way God operates. God is still alive. God is still working. God is still moving. You need an example? I got 79 of them right here in front of me. 
We got two of them got baptized this morning. Yes. God is still moving. He is still powerful. He is still speaking. He spoke to me this morning in my time with him. You need him every day. Every day you need the Lord. What we see here is God providing for them every day. You know, Jesus, in teaching us how to pray, Matthew 6, 11, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, every time we read that and we see that, we often think of that strictly in a physical sense. God providing for my physical needs. Yes. But what did Jesus say in John 6, 35? I am the bread of life. So yes, that's physical, what he's talking about there in Matthew 6. But he's also talking spiritually. Because Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. I am the bread of life. Give me this day my daily bread. I am the bread of life. We come to him, we seek him out to provide what we need today spiritually. Even though at times it's our natural inclination to try to gather as much as possible in preparation for a time when we can't gather again. You notice those Israelites, even on the seventh day when Moses had already told them, you've got twice as much, they wake up on day seven, they notice the, the, the extra they gather doesn't stink, but they still go out and try to see if there's anything else they can gather. That's our natural inclination too, is to try to gather extra just in case. When sometimes what God is telling us, I'll provide what you need for today, just trust me. Trust me more than yourself in your own cleverness and own thought processes, just trust me and I will take care of it. I will provide all of your needs. All of you. We have to trust God. Learn that lesson the Israelites did. They had to trust God anew every single morning because they would walk out and the manna would be there every morning. Day two, manna there. Day three, manna there. Month five, day one, manna still there. They had to trust God anew every morning. God is always there, always. Jeremiah wrote about this, Lamentations, chapter three. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. Food language again. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Preparation, allowing the Lord to speak into us every single day not simply relying on something that used to be and how things used to be and what we used to be. I mean, think about this, right? We had the Olympics a few months ago. The 2020 Olympics we had in 2021. Imagine an athlete preparing for the 2020 Olympics. Then the 2020 Olympics get postponed. Athlete stops training. The time comes around for the 2020 Olympics in 2021 and the athlete hasn't trained for a year. The athlete would be in no way prepared when the trial arrives. It's the same in our lives. We may be preparing for something, and the thing comes, and then we stop preparing. We feel like we've reached the pinnacle, or we get out of the habit, and we just stop. Maybe we feel like it's too difficult, it's too hard. We don't have time. We got all these other things pulling on us and yanking on us, and we don't want to go in those directions. But the thing is, if we're going to be faithful, we need to be consistent. Because a faithful life is consistent. A faithful life is consistent. There's a, a, a fitness guy that I follow on Instagram, and his big thing is consistency. It doesn't matter where you start, just start and be consistent. Just start and be consistent. And it will, it's the consistency that will produce results. Now, if you're consistent in, you know, you do half a sit-up in the morning when you get out of bed, you do the other half at night when you lay down, and that's it, well, you're going to consistently produce those kind of results. Uh, but consistency is what it's all about. A faithful life is consistent, consistent in the right things, consistent in the Lord. There was a philosopher who said it this way, long obedience in one direction. Long obedience in one direction produces phenomenal results. But it doesn't have to be big things. It doesn't have to be massive things in what we think things to be massive as. Because, you know, there's a small town in Israel that none of us would know the name of today because it was so tiny and so small. It's called a village. But you know what the name of that town is? 
Bethlehem. And we all know the name of that town. Even people who don't believe in Jesus know the name of that town. Because Jesus came to something that was small and did something big with it. We got to follow the Lord, be faithful in the Lord, be consistent. And the thing is, small, consistent progress makes big gains. Small, consistent progress makes big gains. Who won the race, the tortoise or the hare? Tortoise. Hare was faster. Tortoise was consistent. He made small, consistent progress and produced something that the hare never thought possible. I have an uncle, Uncle Rob. He has a weight loss program. You know what his goal is? Lose one pound a year. And then someday, down the road, small, consistent progress will produce big results. <laughs> small, consistent progress will produce big results. You know, sometimes we, 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 we feel like, man, I got to be faithful. I need to do it, do it all. You know, and when we look at the Bible, and we're like, man, this is like over 1,000 pages. Okay, mine, 1,042 pages. Now, in my numerical brain, I would divide that down and say, okay, well, I got to read this many pages to get it done in X amount of time. And then day three comes and I don't get that many pages and then I begin to get discouraged. Day four comes and I fall behind. By day seven, I'm done because I'm so far behind that it's overwhelming and I got to go and try something else. You ever feel overwhelmed in trying to be faithful to the Lord? Your faithful progress to the Lord just feels like and you want to, it feels like too much. You try to do something, you try to do something else, or you try to be faithful in this other situation, and it just falls and crumbles. Or you start a reading plan in the Bible app, and, and it's too difficult because you fall behind, and then you try to catch up, and you do three on one day, and then you fall behind again, and, and now you're seven days behind, and you don't know how you're ever going to get caught up. Thankfully, they created a little button that says, catch me up, and it feels like you never, you know, <laughs> never fell behind. But, you know, you feel like it's too much sometimes. But maybe we just need to hit the reset and don't try to do so much at one time. That's why so many New Year's resolutions fail, because they're too big and they're too much at one time. But if we just started off with a small step, small step, maybe don't try to read all of John chapter 1 tomorrow if you're not in the habit of reading massive chunks of Scripture. John chapter 1 is long. Say, okay, I'm just going to read five verses. Five. Start with five. Maybe just one. John chapter one, some of it's pretty deep. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Okay, where did, what in the world is John? What are you saying? The word is capitalized there. Word, in the beginning was the word. Well, the word must be something. You look in the footnotes. Oh, he's talking about Jesus. Well, there's day one. If you're not in the habit, you've got to start somewhere. You're not going to run a marathon having never trained before. You've got to start somewhere. So just start and produce Long obedience in one direction. Small, consistent progress produces big results. One pound a year. You don't have to shoot for one pound a day. <laughs> you don't got to shoot for trying to read the whole thing in a week. Start small and move on from there. The day what the Lord celebrates, the day of small beginnings. It's got to start somewhere. Start somewhere. Make, take that step of faith and start Somewhere, And don't forget where God's brought you from. Don't forget parting the Red Sea. But what is God saying to you today? What is God speaking to you in this moment? And maybe you're like me and, and you do forget stuff a lot. So I've got a, little, I got a little journal that I write everything down in. I carry it around with me all the time. Like if you come up to me on a Sunday, I don't have it with It's my office. I, forgot, I didn't have my pen this morning, so I had to use one of the pencils down here in the front row. Um, and I don't write it down. I'm going to forget. It's just gone. Out of my head. If it's not written down, it's not. If you're like me and the Lord, you've, the Lord speaks to you in some way through his word, through your prayer, write it down so you remember. And then revisit it at lunchtime. Revisit it at dinnertime. We got these great cell phones that have notes apps. You may not be able to carry stuff around. Just pull it up. Say, I'm, I'm not going to say it now. because uh, Say, hey, Siri, but together. Take a note and then say what God is speaking to you. And, and, and watch the Lord move through you as you pay attention to what he's saying. As you begin to make small steps, small, consistent, faith-filled steps into where God takes him. 
Moses wasn't instantaneously faithful to God. Moses killed the guy and ran and hid for 40 years before he was ready to be who God wanted him to be. And even then, he tried to make excuse after excuse to not follow God. But God walked with him and worked with him. Small, consistent progress produces big gains, big results. So what is your step of faith today? Maybe your step of faith is you need to read scripture every day. Little bite-sized chunks building up eventually, but little bite-sized chunks. Maybe that's your step of faith. You need to read scripture every day. Maybe it's praying every day, not just at mealtimes. Praying, listening. Maybe your step of faith is listening to what God says to you before you list off all your, your requests to him. And I guarantee you, you've got to start small with that one. Like 10 seconds, maybe five seconds. Don't start off trying to listen to God, never having done it before for an hour. You will, your mind will be, you'll, you'll have planned out the rest of your great-grandkids' lives by that point. Start off small with that one, listening to the Lord. Uh, maybe, even if you've done one of those things before and you've stopped for a while, start it up again. But dial it back and start off smaller. Start off small. There's no shame in that at all. You're making small, consistent progress in the right direction. Just start off smaller. Have you ever been to a weight room and you've seen a guy try to lift, but try, he's trying to show for all the other guys in the room and he puts too much weight on and he goes and he pushes the bar up and it just falls to his chest and he can't move? You've seen it on YouTube maybe? <laughs> he started too big. There's no shame in putting it back up and taking several of the, the weights off. Do what you can do. Start where you're at. Don't start where you want to be. God will get you there. Start where you are right now. Small, consistent progress in where you're going. Maybe your step of faith is praying with somebody, not just saying, I will pray for you, but stopping right there in the moment, praying for them, even if it's in the aisle at Walmart. Maybe your step of faith is telling somebody about Jesus. Maybe your step of faith is bringing somebody to church next week, inviting somebody to church. Maybe your step of faith is you need to be baptized, just like we baptized this morning. Maybe that's your step of faith. You need to be baptized. You believed, but you haven't been baptized. You've turned your life to where God wants you to go, but you need to get baptized and show the world that you are his. Hey, you know what? You can get baptized today. Water's still up there. It's still pretty warm, not cold, not hot. We got some t-shirts, I'll give you, right back there. Maybe you need to get baptized today before you leave this room. Maybe you need to say, hey, you know what? My step of faith, I need to join the church. I need to... Invest in where God's put me. Maybe your step of faith is that. Maybe your step of faith is joining a small group. We got a bunch of them. We'll take you to one. Maybe your step of faith is starting a small group, and God's already been laying that in your heart, but you've been giving him excuse after excuse about why you can't do it. But just go and do it, right, Greg? Just go and do it. He's doing one this Saturday. He's been pumped about it. He's been working on it for a month, month and a half. And God's put this on him, and he's doing it. Start it. Go out. Do it. Take that step of faith in what he has for you. So what is your step of faith? The size of the step of faith is not the issue. The issue is whether or not you're going to take it. Whether or not you're going to take that step of faith. What is your step of faith today? Maybe your step of faith is you need to believe in Jesus. Maybe that's your step of faith. You need to believe that Jesus is God's son. Not just think it in your head, not just know it in your head, not just know Christmas time's coming. You're, 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 you know, you're on the right side of, of history and, and with the Lord and you're already listening to Christmas music like I am. And, and you, you know about Jesus, but it's time to believe in him. And you need to believe that Jesus is God's son. That he came and he died so all your sins would be forgiven. And he rose from the dead so you can live after you die. And so maybe today your step of faith is belief. And if you need to believe today, I'm going to pray in just a second. I'm just telling you what's coming. I'm going to pray. And if you need to believe in Jesus, I want you to come and talk to me. Step out. First step of that step of faith, stepping out of your green pew and coming and talk to me here in the front. Maybe you need to come and you need to pray at the steps. Pray for your step of faith and say, God, this is crazy. I've been complaining to you just like the Israelites. I don't know how in the world I'm going to pull this off. I don't know how I'm going to trust you, but I need you to help me. Like the father who spoke to Jesus, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Maybe that's you this morning. 
and you need that help. You need God's help, God's strength in your step of faith. Will you take a step of faith today? You'll pray with me. God, God, far too often, just, you know my heart, far too often I relate to those Israelites. I've got faith enough to start the journey, and then once I get on the journey, I don't know how in the world we're going to make it. And I doubt, and, and I get frustrated, and I complain, and I grumble. And you're there with great patience every step of the way. Just trust me. Trust me for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow has enough worry about itself. Trust me for today. God, help us to trust you for today. To be faithful today in what you have given us and what you provided for us. God, I pray for the people sitting here in this, in this room. I pray for the people who are watching online. That if anyone needs, needs to make a decision for you today, take that step of faith in whatever capacity, however big it may be, that they would step out for you. That they would believe in you. They would be baptized. They would follow you. They would start a small group, be a part of a small group. They would join the church. They would tell somebody about you. They would invite somebody next week to church. They would, they would be who you want them to be, stepping out in faith at every juncture, at every moment, every single day, starting to read scripture today, just a verse at a time. The portion that they need right now. Taking up your provision for today. God, we pray you would give us this day our daily bread. Our daily bread. Yours. God, show us what that step of faith is. Every one of us. Whether we need to take that step of faith for the first time and believe in you today. Or we need to take a step of faith for the 10,000th time. Whatever it is, we would step out for you. In your name I pray, amen.